Uh, Acts chapter 14. Now, there's a lot you could say about this chapter, um, and I'm not going to say it all, but I want to focus in on one particular aspect of the chapter, and it's four things that you should know about remaining true to the faith. And I want us to look at what happens in the chapter here and what's said in the chapter, and we're going to get some lessons from that. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are a member in the church at Antioch, and uh, some time ago, it was your church who sent out Saul and Barnabas on their missionary journey. You sent them out to go about um, abroad among all the churches and all the areas, planting churches, spreading the gospel uh, to, to lands that hadn't known it. And now they're returning home. And this is a Sunday morning, and you're going to get the report from Saul and Barnabas as to what happened and uh, you're all eagerly awaiting what they're going to say to you as a church. And so they tell you, they come along on a Sunday morning and they tell you how fruitful the journey was. Uh, they tell you that everyone's filled with joy because they're recounting how God opened up a door of faith for the Gentiles. And how churches were founded in the places they visited. And everyone's saying, well, praise God, this is amazing. Uh, all these new churches springing up. And then Paul says, yeah, and not only that, but we've appointed elders in all the churches. So there's structure. These churches are growing. They're prospering. They're doing well. And everyone's really overjoyed at that. And then they tell you what they said to encourage these believers on in their walk. And look at verse 22, because this is what they told them, these churches that they planted. They said, we must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. What a surprise. I mean, that's not, surely that is not what you would say to new Christians to encourage them in their walk, is it? Surely you wouldn't think of saying that to them. That's the last thing they need to hear, isn't it? And it's true, of course, that we need to hear about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. We need to hear about the glorious inheritance that we have in Christ. We need, all, need to hear all of these things. But we also know, need to know what it means to live as a faithful Christian in a world that is hostile to Christians. This, this is the realistic side of things, isn't it? Uh, maybe, I don't know about you, but maybe um, when you first became a Christian, you weren't really told this. I know it's possible that people become Christians thinking that it's just going to solve all their problems. Everything's going to become a bed of roses and then it's going to be easy. Uh, and then you're soon disabused of that notion when you become a Christian and think, well, actually, I've got more problems than I started with. Um, so uh, Paul and Barnabas didn't do that. What they did was said, look, you've got all of this in Christ. All of this is yours. You're secure. Your eternity is secure. You've got righteousness of Christ. Your sins are forgiven. But... We enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations, through hardships. And that was the message they gave to encourage these young churches to press on. You think, well, is that an encouragement? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Um, it might cost you your reputation. We, we have to just be honest, don't we, here? In the 21st century, not a lot has changed. <laughs> since the first century. Yes, we wear different clothes, we have cell phones, we have all this different technology, uh, and we sometimes, it's chronological snobbery. We think we're better because we've got more stuff. But actually, we're no better than they were in the first century. And life as a Christian is actually very similar to what it was in the first century. And so we need to realise that just like those churches, just like those Christians, 
you may well lose your reputation for being a Christian. It might cost you family, it might cost you friends, uh, it might cost you your job, uh, it might cost you comforts and the illusion of safety that we often have, and it might even cost you your life. You see, Paul was a great theologian who penned wonderful words like Romans chapter 8, and we could all think of chapters we love and think, oh, you know, he's gone to the heights of glorious truth there in Romans chapter 8. Oh, it's so wonderful. All of that is necessary and true. All of that's true. But Paul, the same man who wrote those words, also said this. So we have to hold all these things in tension. And Paul wasn't just making this up. He wasn't just saying, well, this is my take on it. No, he was reflecting what his Lord had said. He was reflecting what Jesus taught about the kingdom. Now, you don't need to turn here, but I'm just going to read you a little snippet from Luke chapter 14. Um, this is Jesus speaking. And this is what he says to people. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Now, I wonder how many of you understood the full picture when you became a Christian. On how many of you counted the cost before you signed up, so to speak? It doesn't make all your problems go away, does it, being a Christian? It really doesn't. Uh, you, you do get rid of some, but in its place you have other problems that you've never considered, never thought about. Uh, in some ways, Christians have to think much harder about how we deal with life than other people do. And so today, based on Paul's words to these churches and based on the examples of what happened to him, um, I want us to look at these things that Christians need to know about living faithful and true. Here's the first one. We need to expect resistance to accompany fruitful service. We need to expect resistance to accompany fruitful service. Uh, you can see here in this chapter that Paul and Barnabas were doing a fruitful work. If you just look at verse 1 there and verse 21, you can see that in Iconium, a great number believed. That's a fruitful work. Many people were coming to faith. And in Derbe, they won a large number of disciples. Many people were being converted because Christ was at work through his church. And incidentally, if you ever want to know what is the book of Acts about, it's not really about what the apostles did, it's about Jesus being at work in his church. That's the theme of Acts, really. Uh, but you can see they were fruitful. And that's still true today, isn't it? Christ is still at work in his church today. This is st not stuff that was relegated to 2,000 years ago. Christ is still at work in his church now. And fruitful ministry, still, just as it was then, is not going to be without difficulties. Um, it's not going to be safe. It's not going to be plain sailing. In fact, fruitful Christian service is very rarely safe. It's very rarely plain sailing. Um, the work of the apostles, you can read here, it was met with a variety of responses, wasn't it? Not everyone was the same. It was a variety of responses. Some people believed, some people didn't. 
Other people actively opposed the apostles and actively resisted their message and resisted them as people. And we should expect a mixed response to what we do as Christians and as a church. We should expect a mixed reaction to us. Now, a mixed or a negative reaction, we have to bear in mind, that doesn't always mean that we're not being fruitful. What's our first thought? When someone reacts negatively to us, we think, oh, this isn't working. Well, at least that's what I do. I don't know what you're like. But if someone reacts negatively to you, the first thing you think is, oh, this isn't working out, or this isn't going very well. But actually, it doesn't mean anything to do with the work not being fruitful, if you get a bad response. Fruitful ministry is often accompanied by resistance. Now, when I talk about ministry... The problem with that word is that everyone thinks of preaching and pastors when I talk about ministry. But what I mean by ministry is the work of every member of the church. Uh, it's not just ministers that do ministry. You all do ministry. Um, the pastor's job is to equip you to do that ministry. Uh, so it's not just talking about preaching the gospel, but it's talking about everything that you guys do. It's talking about you talking to your friends at school or college. It's talking about how you represent yourself at work, how you are with your neighbours, what conversations you get into with other people. It's talking about all of those things. Uh, and that can often be met by resistance. And if it's going to be fruitful, it usually is met by resistance. We need to remember, don't we, that we are in a spiritual battle. We're not battling against people themselves, however much it may seem like that sometimes. We're not fighting against people. It's a spiritual battle. It's like Paul says himself, doesn't he, in Ephesians. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a spiritual battle going on. And for that reason, we need to expect that there will be resistance. There's going to be resistance to fruitful ministry. Now, if you want some kind of example of what I'm talking about, maybe some of you have heard the story about John Wesley. I would say, uh, stop me if you've heard it, but you can't stop me if you've heard it, so you'll have to hear it again. Um, John Wesley, this is quite a well-known anecdote. Now, I don't know how true this is, but it's in the records of his life, so I'm going to quote it to you. John Wesley, um, the famous uh, Methodist preacher, he, he's, he's riding along on his horse one day, and it dawns on him that three days have passed and no one has said anything bad to him. Uh, he's not had any kind of negative uh, response to him. And it, it, he, he feels convicted by this. And he says, oh, no one's thrown a brick or an egg at me for three days. Or, or dead cats, that sometimes used to happen as well. Uh, and he said, well, I need, to, I need to sort this out with the Lord. So he gets off his horse and he kneels down and he, and he, and he prays to the Lord. Oh, Lord, show me if, any, if I've been backsliding. You know, if, I, if I'm backsliding and I haven't had any re resistance, show me what's going on. And of course, there's a guy on the other side of the hedge who's listening to this, and he says, well, I'll fix that for you. And he gets a brick, and he chucks the brick over the hedge, and it lands in the mud just next to John Wesley. And he says, oh, praise God, I've been all right all along. <laughs> now, perhaps he had a bit of a persecution complex, not quite sure. But we, we don't necessarily need to... Be quite like that, but it gets the point across, doesn't it, that he expected resistance 
to fruitful ministry, and we should too. You don't need to be looking for opposition. You don't need to have a persecution complex. You don't need to go out searching for people to do you harm. That's, that's dumb. You don't need to do that. But you do need to expect that people are going to resist you. And don't be surprised when they do it. In fact, when they are resisting you, what does it tell you? Something significant's occurring. Otherwise, they wouldn't bother, would they? Do you really think the devil is interested in opposing Christians who are ineffective? Doesn't need to, does he? He just let them go. Just wind them up and let them go. And they're, they're damaged enough for themselves. But a Christian who's effective, the devil's thinking, I've got to do something about this. And there's resistance. We should expect that. Right? John Wesley expected it. Um, you don't have to look for flying eggs and bricks, but you need to expect it as well. Now, second thing that we need to think about here. We need the boldness to persevere despite the resistance. You need the boldness to persevere despite the resistance that you come across. Look at verses 2 and 3 here in the text. It says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Now there's something that can easily be missed there. So... So, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. So you'd think that if people's mind, minds were poisoned against them, that that would be a reason to move on to somewhere else, wouldn't you? After all, that's what they did in other places. They shook the dust off their feet and they moved on. But it was because of this propaganda campaign against them that they remained teaching for longer. Uh, they stayed on at Iconium to keep teaching the truth because there was resistance. You can easily gloss over that, can't you? There's little bits in the Bible you can just read it and think, oh yeah. And, but you don't realise that they stayed precisely because it was difficult. They stayed and they kept going because they were getting resistance. And they thought, we need to up the ante here. We need to put more effort in here. So they stayed and they carried on. And sometimes it's true, it is right to shake the dust off your feet. Sometimes you're casting pearls before swine, and you need the wisdom to know when that is. That, that is true. But other times, you need to persevere in the face of resistance. And that's what they did here. Now, the issue here is that most of the people they're dealing with are not people who have got a Bible background. Previously, they were dealing with Jews and Jewish people, and they knew what was coming. They knew what, what they were about, and that's why they shook the dust off their feet. They already had a prior knowledge, and they rejected it. But in this situation, they're dealing with people who had a very little foundational knowledge about God, about the true God, about the Bible, or anything like that. And they're what we might call unchurched people. I don't really like that word myself, but we'll use it. They're what you call unchurched people. They were unfamiliar with the basic ideas of the Bible. They believed in the supernatural, uh, but it was superstition. It wasn't truth. They were superstitious people. They believed in supernatural things, but it wasn't anything to do with the real God. Uh, and it's evident, of course, by their response to Paul and Barnabas that that's the case, isn't it? Um, now, sometimes it's true that in order to reach people with the gospel... There are sometimes times when we have to endure significant resistance and opposition to the gospel. It might be that sometimes your character is assaulted. And often what happens is if people can't attack your argument, 
they attack you instead. That's often what happens. People resort to insults, don't they? If they can't criticise your character, or they can't criticise what you've said, oh, yeah, well, well, he's a bigot. You can see this all the time in the current generation, can't you? Uh, and that's really what's going on here in, in Acts. It's, nothing changes, does it? And we don't wear togas anymore, but the human nature doesn't change, does it? People are just the same as they always were. And so your character might be assaulted. In those times, you have to face persecution head on. You've got to be willing to face it. I want you to notice here that we're told that the apostles stayed for a considerable time in Iconium because of this resistance. We often do the opposite, don't we? We often do the opposite. When there's resistance, we think, oh, well, okay, it's obviously not working out. I'm going I'm to clear off. But they stayed because there was resistance. And we have a tendency to be afraid of people, don't we? Uh, we're afraid of looking stupid. If you really boil it down, most of our problems with sharing the gospel is that we don't want to look stupid in front of people. It's the fear of man, isn't it? And, and we're all guilty of that, pastors included. We're all, in, we're all guilty of that because we're all human. We all find that difficult. Um, but we're afraid that people won't like us. Because we all want to be liked, don't we? We all want people to like us. It's no... There's no glory in deliberately seeking people not to like you. Uh, we all want to be friendly with people. We want people to speak well of us. Uh, we don't like people criticising us. Um, but what's the common denominator in all of those problems? Fear of man. It's fear of man, isn't it? Now, notice as well here, at verse 3, uh, Paul and Barnabas spoke for the Lord boldly. Now, this is something we can easily miss in the text. Courage is not the absence of fear. You might think, well, what do you mean? Well, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the commitment to do what's right despite being afraid. You think about it. Otherwise, you wouldn't need courage, would you? <laughs> if you weren't afraid, you wouldn't need to be courageous, would you? Um, courage, and that should help us. Because if you're afraid, doesn't mean you can't be fruitful. Doesn't mean you can't be fruitful. There are many times when you're going to be afraid of things in life. There are many times when people at your college will say stuff to you and you think, oh, I don't want this again, I don't want to have to get into this conversation. Or you're at work and you think, oh no, if this comes up, they're going to ask me what I think about it and then I'm going to have to go into all that. And you're afraid of what people are going to say. But courage is not the absence of that fear. It's pushing through it regardless. And you need the courage to face difficulty in life, don't you? And praise God, he does give us the courage to do it. Sometimes we fail, other times we don't. But many times we're more fruitful than we realise. Have you ever considered that um, all the times you may have spoken an odd word to someone here or there, uh, and the time has gone past, you haven't heard anything about it, but what you don't realise is what you might hear in eternity about those conversations. You just don't know. You just don't know. I mean, think of people like Adoniram Judson, who was out in Burma for years on end, seven years with no converts. I mean, that's, that's discouragement, isn't it? You might think, oh, what's the point? And yet, thousands and thousands of people were converted as a result of his ministry. And it's the same with us. We can say something in a, in a passing sentence to someone, and they dismiss it, and they say, oh, you dumb Christians. You, you, you're, so, you're so naive. 
You don't, you've just got to trust science. And what, they don't, what you don't realise is that 10 years later, they meet someone else who says, well, you know, have you ever thought about this? Oh, yeah, I remember someone saying that about 10 years ago. Oh, this is true, isn't it? That's how I was converted. <laughs> I was converted by attempting to argue as an atheist with a Christian. So I read the Bible and realised it was true and thought, oh no, <laughs> what am I going to do now? I didn't want to become a Christian. But you just, the point is, the guy I was talking to, he never would have thought, oh yes, he's obviously going to become a Christian. In fact, that's the last thing he would have thought. He would have thought, oh, this guy's so annoying. All he does is argue with me. But you don't know what's going on inside. And the thing is, when you talk to people, their conscience is your ally. Because God has made them in his image still, despite the fact that they're sinners. He's made them in his image, and they know you're right. Deep down inside, they know. They might deny it all they like, but they know you're right. And you don't have to try and persuade them in that sense, because their conscience is your friend. You don't know, is the point. Um, fruit can happen despite resistance, and often does because of it. There are times when you have to endure hardship and you're following in the footsteps of Christ when you do that, aren't you? He's already been through all the hardship and all the death and everything that could ever come a person's way. He's been through it and he's been through it on your behalf so you will not have to experience all of it in eternity. You see, Christ has already, he knows. He's not asking you to do anything he hasn't already done himself. He's already been there and, and more. Anything you experience will be nothing compared to what Jesus went through. And I'm not just talking about being on a cross. I'm talking about the, the, the spiritual devastation of the weight of sin being on him. When he's sinless, he bore the weight of all of our sin on him so that we might not have to pay for it in eternity. You see, Christ has been through all of this, hasn't he? And all he says to you is, just believe, just trust me. Just trust me, you'll be saved. I'll rescue you from hell. I'll make you right with God and you'll know what it means to live in eternity with your Father in complete harmony. Just believe what I'm saying. Just believe in me. Trust in what I've done. He's been there already. He doesn't ask you to do anything he hasn't done. We should expect resistance and we should look for the courage to overcome it. We need the courage to overcome it. Now thirdly, this is one that um, you can definitely see in the text here. Thirdly, we must not pursue the approval of those around us. Tough call that, isn't it? We must not pursue the approval of those around us. Sometimes people respond positively to you. We've talked about the negative stuff, but sometimes people respond positively to you and therein lies the danger. Some they, they respond positively, and they, it's true, some people might even believe and be saved. I mean, that's what you want every conversation to be like, isn't it? What must I do to be saved? Praise God, I'll tell you. Not all conversations are like that. But sometimes people respond in a positive manner, but they do it with the wrong motivations. They do it for the wrong reasons. Either because they've misunderstood you, or they've misunderstood the situation. Now, if you want a good example of that, a perfect example of that, Verse 8 to verse 18 is a little account of that happening. What you can see here is that the people saw the apostles' signs and wonders being performed and they treated them as gods. Now, this is something we find hard to grasp today, isn't it? We don't really see that happening. 
or do we? I think we do. Um, just because people don't bow down and pay homage, it doesn't mean people don't treat other people as gods. They look to them as a replacement for God. That's the same thing. Um, but they're treating Paul and Barnabas as, as gods. Now, that's a positive response in, in one sense, isn't it? I mean, imagine you do that. Imagine you turn up at your workplace and you say, well, this is the case. This is what I've said to you. What do you think? And they say, oh, you're amazing. You're just the best. Oh, let me put on a spread for you. Guys, guys, listen to what she's saying. This is amazing. Look at this. Look at this. Look at that. And they, and they lift you up as if you're something special. The temptation there is to think, oh, this is a good response. This, I like this. This is a good reaction. Yeah, that's the problem. It's the wrong reaction, isn't it? Because you are not the one they should be looking to. It shouldn't be you. You're not the one that should be glorified. And not only that, in this example, it's completely off track, isn't it? They're not even anywhere close to, to the right response, really. It's a positive response, but it's not the right response. And so how easy would it have been for Paul and Barnabas to think, well, oh, you know, Barnabas, we've had it tough the last uh, few weeks. We could just indulge them a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm, look, all this food they're going to put on for us and they're going to treat us like kings. Well, we'll tell them afterwards they're wrong. Let's just have a nice feed up first. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can't really do that, can you? Um, they were committing idolatry, those people. And Paul and Barnabas would have been compounding them in that if they'd gone along with it. So they couldn't do that. So what did they do instead? Instead of going along with it, they corrected the people and they explained the truth to them in terms that they could relate to. That's what they did. And even after doing that, you read here that they barely managed to stop the people from treating them as gods and making sacrifices to them. I mean, that, it's hard to get your head around that, isn't it? You think, even after you said, no, no, look, we're not gods, we're just people. What are you doing? What are you worshipping for? They go, no, no, we want to worship you. Why? <laughs> and Paul's saying, what are you doing? Is, we, the whole point of us talking to you is to, to tell you that this is all nonsense. You're, you're pursuing rubbish that can't ever save you. And what we're doing is trying to tell you this is how you should be saved. They say, no, no, you're fantastic. We want to worship you still. It's amazing, really, isn't it? <laughs> but um, what it does tell you is that the approval of man is very fickle. Some Jews came down from Antioch, verse 19, and Iconium, and they win the crowd over. And then the crowd, who were ready to worship them one minute, are so easily swayed that they stone them the next minute. Amazing, isn't it, really? When you think, these are people that are calling them gods one minute, and then the Jews come down and say, oh, no, 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 you don't want to listen to Paul and Barnabas. Stone him. Don't seek the approval of man because it can turn on a dime. It can switch. And you know that's true, don't you? Uh, if you pursue after people's good opinions, as soon as you think you've got it, the new thing comes along and then you're not flavour of the month anymore. Or opinion shifts. Um, current opinion changes on a particular thing and then you're in the wrong when you were in the right five minutes ago. If you seek the opinion of man as approval, you will constantly be switched, flip-flopping on everything. You'll, you'll never have any kind of certainty. You'll never have any kind of moral grounding. Don't pursue the approval of people. Just don't do it. How easily people can be swayed against you. You see, what you need to be concerned with is, do these people know the truth? 
not do these people like me, do these people treat me well, but do these people understand what I'm saying to them? That's the important thing. And of course, once they do believe and understand, well then you win them as friends anyway, don't you? Well, let me wrap this up. Let me wrap this up. Final point here is that if you want to remain true to the faith, having said everything we've said, you need each other. Because the Christian life is not the life of a lone ranger. It's not the life of someone who just thinks, well, I'm a Christian now. This is between me and God. You know, me and God, we're like that. That's all we need to worry about. I know I've got my own faith. You'll notice that the whole of the New Testament is written to churches, local churches. And even the Apostle Paul didn't think he was above this. It's worth noting this. Look at verse 26 here, right at the end here. It says that from Italia, they sailed back to Antioch. And that's the church where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work to be completed. Antioch was their sending church. They didn't treat Antioch like a petrol station. You know, you know we, we sometimes will drive through, pick up the petrol, and then off we go again. That's not what's going on here. What's going on is that Antioch Church has sent Paul and Barnabas out. They've gone, done their mission, and they're coming back to rejoin their family. Not their blood family, their Christian family. They're coming back into the fold, and they're reporting back to the church. Paul is recognising the authority of the local church here. Even the Apostle Paul didn't say, well, I'm the Apostle Paul, I can do whatever I want. The Apostle Paul made himself accountable to the local church. And it's not just about accountability, it's about the reception and love and response and the edification you have in the local church. Paul and Barnabas, you could say, well, they're examples of just the best Christians ever, surely. But imagine how beaten up they were feeling after all of this. And they come back to the warmth and support and fellowship of the local church because they needed it. And if Paul and Barnabas needed it, then so do you, right? We all need it, don't we? There's no such thing as a Christian who lives as a Christian life apart from the local church. And I'm so pleased you're all here this morning <laughs> because if you weren't, you wouldn't hear this, would you? I'm so pleased that you're here this morning. I'm so pleased that, I don't know all of you here, of course, but I, I'm pretty sure that a good number of you will be members here in the church. And that's a good thing, because you need it. You need that. And you must never think of the apostles as super-Christians. That's often the way we, we read the Bible. We read what they've done and we think, oh, well, they just didn't need any, any help. But actually, they were unique in one sense, that's true. But they were human beings, the same as us. They were just men. They needed support, they needed love, they needed the help of the church. And, and even Peter, you remember, was corrected by Paul. You see the issue here, we all need each other. We all need the local church. None of us can go off and do our own thing. And if you do, you're going to trip up on one of these points. Uh, because you need each other. They returned to their sending church. And their sending church supported them. Now, of course, it's true, isn't it, that one of the greatest challenges the church has faced in the last, well, I was going to say year or so, but it's more than that now, is the, the hindrance to the gathered church. 
um, because of the restrictions and everything that's going on in our society. Um, and it hinders our essential functions as churches, doesn't it? I mean, when you can't see someone's face, when you can't talk to someone, when you're not allowed to be in the same room as someone else, it really hinders this. Um, and I'm not going to talk about that, but I'm just, gonna, I'm just saying that there's a danger that we start to think that's okay. It's not. It's not okay. That's not okay. Because that is not what God's plan is for the church. To remain true to the faith, you need other Christians. You need them. They're not optional. You need them. And they need you. They need you. Have you ever thought about that? When you're thinking, oh, I can't be bothered to come to church this morning. Maybe, maybe someone else really needs you to be there. Maybe someone else really needs to hear what you've got to say to them. And you think, well, I can't say anything useful. Want to bet? We're all different, and that's why we need each other. Oh, but this person knows so much about the Bible, and I, what can I possibly say that's going to help them? Well, they may have already been where you're at, and they may be encouraged by something you say about where you're at now. You just, you just don't know. If you knew everything, every little good thing that happened in a church meeting, you'd be amazed. And, but we don't, do we? But if you knew every, every beneficial thing that went on behind the scenes, you don't hear everyone's conversations, you don't know what they're talking about, you don't know what people have gone through. The person sitting next to you, perhaps, in the seat this morning, you don't know what they've done this week. You don't know what's happened to them. And they may need to someone to be sitting next to them, knowing that we're two Christians together. We're both in this together. We're sitting together. And you don't know the impact that will have on that person. Of course, if you're not here, you can't have any of that, can you? You need other Christians. The apostles needed them, and so do you. We need to heed Paul's words, don't we, in verse 22. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We need to hear that. And that's why we need to constantly keep the gospel in mind, isn't it? We need to remember who we're trusting in. That's why we do everything that we do. It's not just a humanistic endeavour. We do this because of Christ. Christ has done everything required for our salvation. And our salvation is a certainty because of that. Because of what he's done. We're not saved by our obedience. So if you're, if you're listening to this and thinking, oh man, I've just messed up on everything here. Like this is not me. This doesn't describe me at all. Well, the good news is you can come to Christ, be forgiven and start again. That's, I'm pleased that that's true. It's good news, isn't it? You see, the forgiveness of God is absolute. You can come to Christ knowing that he has paid for your sin. You can come to him and know that even if you've messed up on every single point that we've talked about, he says, come to me, you're forgiven because of what I've done. Let's start again. Here's a clean slate. Let's carry on from here on. It's good news, isn't it? The same Jesus who saved you is present and is active in his church, even now. Not just then, but now as well. And there's these four things that you need. You should expect resistance to fruitful service. You need the boldness to persevere despite the resistance. You must not pursue the approval of people. And finally, you need other Christians. And Christ will enable you in all of that. Amen.